Welcome to Building the Oracle, a podcast about two dudes building a publishing house and film studio from the ground up with nothing more than a stack of empty CD cases and three broken Amsterdam refrigerator magnets. I'm your host, Jay Swanson. And I'm Richie Bilkey. And today's guest is one of my first friends from the sci-fi fantasy convention scene, David Robison. He's a wizened veteran of the storytelling scene, and since he's created the world-building software Archivos, we figured he was the perfect person to talk shop on the practical elements of building and organizing a fictional world. Yeah, and, and not just building and organizing fictional worlds, but also bringing them to life outside the pages of a book. I was really interested in talking to him about how authors can create worlds that expand in the imagination of their readers and, and inspire uh, a, a strong fandom around the book. Absolutely. And if nothing else, Dave has an electric joy that is impossible to resist, which makes him the perfect candidate for some much needed optimism during this global season of challenge. We hope that you catch a bit of his joy in our conversation because I know that we left with a little bit more pep in our step. Oh, yeah. And you can certainly hear him smiling and flailing around as he speaks. And, and that'll make a little bit more sense in a few minutes time. But in the meantime, we hope we enjoy our conversation with Dave Robeson. Welcome to Building the Oracle. I'm your host, Jay Swanson, and today I'm joined by the master of classy mustachioed marvels, David Robison. Classy mustachioed marvels. I'm adding that to my CV. That's going right at the top of my resume uh, from now on. Just for, It's only going to get better from here, Dave. Dave not only traditionally has a magnificent mustache, which is currently couched in a boisterous beard, but the facial hair is merely a distraction from his beautiful brain. Dave is a podcaster, voice actor, and storyteller whose most recent foray into fantasy led to the creation of Archivos, a visual story mapping tool that weaves characters, events, and places into relationship webs, live maps, and interwoven timelines. Dave was also kind enough to have me on his old podcast, The Roundtable Podcast, in which he and two guests workshopped the pitch and manuscript of an aspiring author in real time. It was both an instructive and delightfully painful affair to listen in on, or be a part of if you were lucky enough to get in while the getting was good. I was. Where the podcast has sadly set sail, Dave has multiple ongoing stories he's developing that you can jump in on right now, including the Shattered Worlds series, which we'll be linking to in the show notes for those looking to get their read on. And of course, above and beyond all of this, Dave is ever the joyful mentor and cheerleader within the sci-fi and fantasy community, and his laughter is just as encouraging as his words always prove to be. Dave, I'm so excited that you're here with us today. We've been planning this forever. Welcome <laughs> to Building the Oracle. Oh, Jay, that that intro literally put a smile on my face and swelled my heart like the Grinch, like three times. It, it busted the little heart meter there. That was marvelous. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. It's all I'm after. It's the, it's the ambush of affirmation is what we call that <laughs> the one. The ambush of the double A, baby, right there. To the double A. I'd like to point out as well that the... The the a little while ago the the first book that I uh, that I helped with Jay uh, giving him some feedback on the one thing that it was sort of repeatedly I had to sort of pull back and say is every time he introduced a character the first thing he would uh, he would describe was their hair so I I just got to be a reminder of that one he's very very good at describing hair um, but that hey was, man that even was right when we don't there. have it on top it's all about it's all about the beards. <laughs> Yes, yeah, somewhere either on top of the head or in the front, we're gonna we're gonna have some 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 sartorial fabulosity going on. <laughs> well, Dave, our listeners have already realized this in just a few short syllables, but you have a phenomenal voice, and you've done audiobooks and voice acting for some time, and are making a return to that passion right now. Could you tell us how we too can develop such a sensual rumble? <laughs> and if that's beyond our reach, what is it beyond natural talent that draws you? towards voice acting wow how how see the buttery man voice tm pat pending is uh it's something something that i honestly i fell into it's not anything <laughs> i cultivated it's not anything that I, I i intended to do uh so i i wish i could i could draw back on some experience and say this is how you achieve this this awesome uh, uh vocal vocal tone and quality I have a theater background. I was trained as as an actor uh, from the prestigious University of Wyoming uh, theater department, uh, which I chuckle, but honestly, it was an astonishing experience. They had some truly gifted professors uh, uh, with some very ambitious ideas as far as uh, the way to not only explore theater, but how to present it uh, uh, in a stage environment. So I, you know, I, I say the University of Wyoming tongue-in-cheek but 
in all honesty, it was the best move I could possibly hope for. And I'm sure anybody that's attended there uh, can affirm and back me up on that. So, you know, it could be that the theater background, the that, that commitment to uh, projecting to the back of the house without sounding like you're projecting to the back of the house, that theater training, uh, I'm sure had some bearing in in bringing me to the to my current level of, of vocal work and and honestly you know a good voice i'm not gonna lie of course it helps it always helps in in the context of of a vocal performance environment but honestly as valuable certainly if not sometimes more so is the ability to perform honestly and authentically to seek out in, in a line or, or in a scene or in a performance or in a paragraph, if you're reading a book or whatever, uh, looking for the truth of that moment and being able to convey that faithfully, uh, which, which sounds a bit woo-woo when I actually have the words come out of my mouth. Uh, but in all honesty, it's, it's, it's that ability to mirror life whatever life yeah. you're you're performing through a story through a, a script or whatever to be able to mirror that in a way that people can respond to and connect with and that again that again goes back to the to the theater performance so i i honestly believe that all storytellers writers uh, uh filmmakers uh, uh whatever your format or genre of of storytelling a theater class or five is only going to help you uh, <laughs> just just in terms of the understanding of how people connect uh, uh, on stage in a moment, looking somebody in the eye and understanding how uncomfortable that can be sometimes. Uh, and, and, you know, of course you get to project yourself into all manner of, of character and situation that you certainly wouldn't in real life. Uh, so I, I highly recommend, uh, for anybody that wants to get into voice acting, certainly take some acting classes, uh, uh even just for book narration, uh, it helps enormously. Definitely. What was that transition from embodying character, representing character to creating them, to becoming a storyteller yourself? That's a good question. And honestly, I'm, I don't know, Jay. I think, honestly, I'm not sure I would differentiate. I mean, certainly a medium shift uh, was made uh, to go from, from a theatrical framework. And honestly, I don't consider book narration and certainly vocal performance as all that terribly far removed from trotting the boards. The only difference is there's no makeup or costume. Uh, uh, but when I'm in the booth recording a story, I'm flailing. I need a big booth when I'm recording uh, a story or, or a voice part or whatever, because you you have to you have to include the physicality uh, uh, of whatever it is that you're speaking. Your voice sounds different. I mean, I'm sure you can hear. I'm flailing, <laughs> fairly gestic I'm gesticulating rather rather broadly here, uh, just sitting at my desk. And I think you can hear that in my voice. Uh, you know, if you're smiling, it sounds different than if you're frowning, and that can come through as well. So I, I'm not sure. I ever actually acknowledged a shift in that I'm still a storyteller uh, and have been for a very long time. I think uh, the, the the stage upon which I tell my stories uh, because of technology and culture and society's evolution has changed, has shifted, but the underlying impulse, the underlying desire to share a story uh, uh, and, 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 and have people connect with it in some way that gives them one more facet of the infinite facets of this jewel of life, uh, that that's unchanged. Uh, the way may have changed, but the, the, the desire and the reasons behind it, I think are, are very, very consistent. You also, the, the other transition you've made in more recently in the last few years is from 
being a storyteller to a tool builder. So a wordsmith turned to a word forge smith. Uh, I got, I, you know, I've taken a deep dive into Archivos and I was honored to be among the first who got a chance to do so. That's right. Um, but I think there's no one better to explain what the heck is going on with Archivos than you. What exactly is an Archivos and why do we need it? <laughs> what is an Archivos? Uh, Archivos the, is, is basically it's a way to see your stories the way you think about your stories. And there really isn't any tool... To, to my knowledge, uh, uh, before Archivos that really allowed people to do this. And and what I mean by that is that, you know, think about any story that you, you love, you know, Lord of the Rings or Dune or, or whatever those stories are. You don't think of one character or one place or one thing. Uh, our, our creative appreciation and as storytellers, our creative development is not monolithic in that regard. Characters are cool because they interact with other characters at a certain location, during a certain event. Those elements, those story elements together are what creates the friction and the juice and the mojo that makes a story compelling. And, you know, in a word doc, you just can't see you know, all of the friends and associates that Aragorn has, or you can't see, uh, uh, you know, I guess you could have a map of, of you know, Gidi Prime or Arrakis, uh, but, but knowing what happened where and the context for that event, that requires a lot of extra stuff. So I created Archivos to allow you to see all of those story element connections at the same time, all at once. And what it does is it gives you a context for your story, a visual context uh, that is instantaneous. You don't have to look at the links section and see the connections and then click on a link and see what that means and how this thing connects to that. It's visual and with a click of a mouse, a little pop-up pops up and says, oh, right, that guy was, was there at that event. And when was that event? Oh, yes, in the story that happened three months ago. So I can't have anything happen three months ago in this place because there's conflict or whatever. But it allows the storytellers to get this gestalt view of their stories and the elements that comprise them in one broad palette rather than scattered across a, a hundred different note cards or, or 20 different word docs. That's the essence of Archivos. So you're trying to keep people from making their own wikis all the time. Well, or, or use Archivos to make your own wiki. Uh, one of the things that you can do when you subscribe at the professional level is make your Archivos creations public. So, you know, as a storyteller, you, if you have a story world and you want to introduce people to it, uh, you can create an Archivos setting without spoilers, you know, but maybe some cogent and, and, and relevant backstory and some cool maps and some significant events that lead up to the events of your story. You can share that publicly and then either embed that in your own website or provide a link to people and have them click on it and check it out and explore it that way. I, I can't think of a better way to introduce people to the awesomeness of your world than, and I might be biased, but with an Archivos <laughs> setting to, to allow people to wander and explore in the avenues that interest them through the creation of your story world. Yeah. But I, I mean, I'm, I'm easily sold on it because I, I love, I've loved the idea ever since you first pitched it to me and i'm a very visual person and i i think the yeah the the thing the the ability to be able to see how everything is related and see a map and not just not just you know see it in a book but be able to hover over it click on it go to see like what happened here when what characters where like there's a even retroactively as a reader if you wanted to go back and revisit the story yeah or in the middle of a book and be able to say, wait, where, who is this person? Or where did we meet them? Or anything like that. Having that as a companion as well. If you can figure out how to handle the spoilers appropriately, I think uh, <laughs> be a very, very helpful tool in and of itself. 
Definitely. Well, and, and it's, it's, it's constantly in development. There's so much. I'm incredibly proud of what we have up there now. Uh, uh, and, and based on the feedback we're getting, people are enjoying it. And it's, and it's serving its purpose. It's helping them tell their stories, which is all I can ask for. What's been the most challenging element of, of helping people to map this stuff out visually? The, two things in particular. Um, one thing was the list of story elements themselves. When you create a new story element, you can assign a story element type. And there's only about, yeah, I'm trying to remember, nine or 12 different story element types. Uh, uh, character, organization, play, uh, location, region, event, item, uh, things like that. And nailing that down, because people, people want ships. I want ships because I'm telling a science fiction story and the ships are vital. Uh, or I want creatures. I have created these, 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 these creatures. I want them in there. Or cultures. I want to be able to, uh, uh, you know, create a, a, a cultural framework that includes rituals and, and symbols and so on. Everybody, everyone literally tells stories in a unique and different way. And that's awesome. Uh, the, the challenge, the, the fine line that we were walking was, do we want a list of 50 story element types for you to have to scroll through and choose from? Uh, or do we pare it back, uh, go in the other direction, try and be as generic as possible and allow the users to customize the way that they use them in your own archivos? And we, we, we fell to the side of, of going very broad in our descriptions. However, uh, one of the next developments that's that's currently uh, coming up in the development cycle is the ability to create your own custom story element types. So if you want a story element type for creatures, you just make it. And and now there is a creature story element type and you can rock that all the live long day. And I think that's a good idea. I think people, I, I want to be able to accommodate everybody's unique perspective in their particular storytelling sphere. Everybody does it differently. That's that's um, uh, so far. It sounds like there's really two different applications here. Or there's the, the writer. You know, you, you, allowing the writer to create their own world to help them with their world building and keep it in order. And the second is is sharing that um, with the with the reader. I'm interested in both of those very much. I, obviously, I'm I'm working with Jay to help you know build <laughs> his world for his Oracle of the Dread Gods universe and. Uh, having something that helps organize that's going to be uh, huge for us because it's a very big world that he's he's got in his little brain um, that we're trying oh, to yes. map down. Um, but I'm, I'm also fascinated by the idea of of sharing story um, beyond the written word and and how um, how authors are doing that these days. And I'm wondering if there's if there's any uh, it can be something that's come out of Archivos or something else. But any example of of that shared experience between the 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 writer and the reader where they've, they've um, they're sharing that storytelling, and, and it's it's better because of both of them being involved in that. There are platforms, I'm trying to remember, I think it was called Storium, S-T-O-R-Y-I-U-M, or S-T-R-I-U-M, but it was a, a collaborative storytelling platform, uh, and I think uh, uh, Mer Lafferty was involved in those, I think uh, Chuck Wendig had one of those, and basically they you, you start a world, and then you know, everybody that's involved in this gets to take a, a paragraph or a scene or a chapter. And it is a, a true dynamic, interactive uh, uh, story development cycle. There are a couple, you know, obviously, I mean, we're talking, there's, there's fan fiction, uh, uh, which is uh, absolutely legitimate. But uh, that's the um, story is the one that comes to mind, but I'm sure there's others. I'm sure there are. But I mean, for Archivos, for example, is that is that something I, I see that being a really good tool for a fandom um, to to create fan fiction from and to you know set the canon and then and then allow that to you know other people into that universe to, to build from it as it's well. It's interesting. That, that, that was actually the initial uh, uh, vision for Archivos. The, the the thing the thing that first got me excited about the idea was exactly that ability to have the storyteller be the story owner or what have you being able to put out canon story elements and then users being you know granted the rights you know by the admin or the moderator or whatever to create user generated content so 
you know, if you want, if you wanted to work up the 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 barkeep at the prancing pony for a, a Middle Earth story environment, then you could just click there and work that up, and maybe do some fan fiction with that, and somebody else could grab that and go, oh yeah, and as you create stories linking the story elements that you employ in that story to the broader map that Archivos already has so that when you call up Aragorn, for example, one of the, the subheadings would be, and here is all the fiction on this particular site where Aragorn appears, according to the way people link them up. So that was the initial thought. And it, that's that you, you've pivoted away from that, or is that still something that's um, embedded within it's, it, or? it? It became easier one of the one of the, the software development uh, mandates is the MVP the minimum viable product a term that I have come to hate and despise <laughs> for, for it's designed to limit the creative mind into something that can actually be packaged and, and marketed um, uh, and in the interest of MVP after we started talking we realized you know we can actually this will be an interim step it can be a tool for writers uh, for developing and sharing their stories, but uh, uh, bringing in that broader community will be done for a later phase. So that's probably going to be like a phase two or phase three development, Richard. Well, in all this experience and in making sure not to wander off too far from your MVP, what you've seen a lot of people wander down some pretty rough paths as storytellers <laughs> at different points, both in your roundtable podcast days, I'm sure before that, and now watching people uh, visually build stories. How do you know? Maybe you don't, maybe none of us do, but I think we do. I think, I think if anybody has the answer to this, it's going to be you. <laughs> How do you know when you've crossed that line from healthy world building into pointless navel gazing uh, and you're no longer doing yourself any favors, you're just <laughs> making it worse? Honestly, I think the for for most writers and storytellers, I think the moment you ask that question, the moment you feel, hmm, am I navel gazing and doing too much world building? Yes, yes, you are infinitely. <laughs> uh, if you have to ask the question, the answer is yes. Um, that's the short answer. The long answer, I mean, honestly, uh, I I have been on panels or attended panels at conventions with writers who. Do not world build beyond the scope of the story they are telling. Okay, meaning mm -hmm. I I will I will know only enough about this character in terms of what I need to tell this story arc that I wish to tell. I I know this town. I don't even need to necessarily know what city or what what state it's in or even what country. Uh, I know enough, and so you've got that. Uh, uh, that very Spartan uh, story-centric uh, uh, perspective, and these people—they—they—they they, they don't do world building. I don't understand these people. I—I I do not invalidate their choice in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> and it's awesome that they can pull that off, but that is not how I roll. Hence, uh, <laughs> Archivos. Uh, please let me yeah. fall down the, the world building rabbit hole for days and days and days. Um, <laughs> That said, uh, I, I think it is important to. It depends on why why you picked up the the world building pen in the first place. If you know your story, then make sure that the world building that you're doing is in service to your story. And as you're about to click that new story element or that new relationship or that new thing or start, ooh, I need to understand how the, the, the priesthood of, of, of the Seven Towers works. Do you really? Do you need to know the full history of the priesthood of the Seven Towers? Or are you just a big world building nerd? Uh, <laughs> so, and in that context, if you know the story you want to tell, then make sure that the world building you're doing is in service to that. Sometimes, and this is this is very much my wheelhouse, I have a vague kind of idea about the story that I want to tell. And I want to wander through a shop uh, uh, of curiosities and see what bells and gigaws and tchotchkes and, and little dusty things back in the corner catch my eye and and inspire me and fuel a, a passionate response of some kind. And that is where I go for my world building. 
that's why I world built to find those moments. Now, my problem is this. I'm going, okay, I'm telling this story. This is the story I'm trying to tell. I need to know the background on this country just a little bit, not a lot, just a little. And I go in and suddenly that story that is the preamble to the story I want to tell is suddenly much more interesting than the story I initially had intended to sit out to write. And so my, my focus shifts and I, that, that is probably the single biggest detriment to me and to world builders in general is the squirrel factor of, of world building. Uh, There's just so many ground uh, rodents in this situation between rabbits and squirrels. Squirrels, yes, it is. It's, it's where the- did they come from? Now I need to know. We need to do the, <laughs> the backstory for these. Now, so I think part of the reason that we bring this up, we did the episode preceding this is one with a handful of uh, lovely gentlemen that you know that we talked about uh, world building exclusively and their process. But part of the reason for me that's really important now as we're recording this, even before it comes out, is that I'm, I've been wanting to take some time, and Richard and I have talked about this for a while, and there's a, a tension there, to sit back and do a little bit more active world building because I've already written and published eight books in this world. Right. And I've written another two that have yet to see the light of day, one of which my buddy Jeff keeps poking me for, Agnar's box he's dying for, which I appreciate because I think it's great too. But the thing is that all of these books happen within the same universe, most of them on the same planet, uh, but all of them interrelated, all of them coming back together, hopefully, ideally, in the long run, to have one final climactic story that weaves all of their their uh, threads together, whether it's overtly or, or you know, uh, very subtly, everything should build towards something. And so because of the scale of that project, when we're talking about dozens of books and stories over the cross, you know, over, over across a couple thousand years and potentially light years apart, the thing is then, you know, I want to make sure that I don't write myself into any corners. So I'm I'm tempted to spend a lot of time uh, doing some of that world building. But like I, I'm I'm not abhorrent. Like I love the world building side, but I know that it's potentially a trap that leads to nothing. And <laughs> and I've wandered down that path before on a couple of occasions and I don't want to go there. So, I, you know, I don't know how much we're going to dive into this in the second half necessarily of the podcast, but on this side, I guess, prefacing my question by saying, like, and I'm I'm gonna I'm coming to you for advice on maybe some some tips and tricks on how to better approach this. But what I'm doing right now is I am going to key moments and climactic moments in stories or big moments that I know are important for whatever reason, writing those down even in a brief outline form, and then starting to sketch them out almost all at the same time just to see, oh, well, if this happens here, then you know, a hundred years ago, this had to have happened, which means that this guy 200 years before that could not have done this thing that I was going to have him do. So just trying to figure those things out now a little bit to make sure that the butterfly effect doesn't totally devastate everything that I'm trying to build. Do you have any advice for me, Dave, or should I just run screaming into the woods? I, 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 I don't suggest run screaming into the woods. I suggest run screaming to the writers, Garrett. Uh, uh, <laughs> you've, you've already, you've already done, I think the, the key, uh, work here where you're putting down those pivotal moments uh, in future and in past and anchoring, you know, like Doctor Who does, it's a fixed point in time. Uh, and having done so, that doesn't mean you can't erase, but it gives you the fundamental framework that you can start hanging bones and flesh on and see if it actually creates a real boy or a horrible monstrosity that you can then deflesh and God, this is getting grim, uh, uh, <laughs> but, but shift and alter those, those, those core rodents elements, working on the flesh there uh, uh, to make them uh, align more effectively with that vision until, until you create those exactly what you're doing. Those, those fixed moments that are the, the true cornerstones of the broad story you're trying to tell. Uh, then yeah, any, any, any world building is going to be, you know, it, it, I'm, it, no world building is wasted. I think and just like no words are wasted. If nothing else, it'll inform your voice, whether the audience is actually aware of that or not, the more, you know, your world, the more authentic your voice will be in there. Uh, and you've got people like Richard to tell you, no, Jay, we don't need three pages of description on why this thing looks like the way it does. And thank God for editors. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, Amen. so no, I think, I think you're, I think you're doing exactly the right thing uh, uh, and, and move forward. Yeah. I look at it like it's the, the spine. We're working on the, on the main structure of the, the, the long story that the, the thread that runs through it and, and working on the main points along that spine. And then we're going to flesh out the ribs and limbs and, and all those bones that, that, that run off it um, individually. But as long as we don't get too granular on the detail and, and, and spin off, as you said before, into you know uh, research topics onto small things, then find different stories down there. I think we're in, in good shape. There you go. Is that what you wanted to hear, Jay? Or did you want me to completely validate your, your wild romp into the world building uh, uh, funhouse? Nope, that that sounded that was perfect. That was great. <laughs> a little bit, know, a, a little dash of sanity is always good. I'll give you a thumbs up on that every damn time, just so you know. I say, building, <laughs> yeah, yeah, go for it. But <laughs> yeah. you've got a you've got a broader agenda in mind, so I I, I do feel the, the 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 compulsion to be responsible in my advice. <laughs> yeah. Just be careful. You might crash Archivos. Oh, you, do it, do it! I dare you. I double dog yeah. dare you. <laughs> And of course, if you're sitting around the house right now, wishing you had a fresh story to read, then might I give a shameless plug for my own book, my newest book, Sea of the Unknown. It's the book about how I got to Paris. And it's not just about Paris by any means. It follows me from the recession of 2008 and all of the cluster that that put me through to the Western shores of the continent of Africa and a variety of countries bouncing around the Midwest of the United States as a consultant and eventually getting back to Paris, which has been my dream since forever. If you want to read that book, unfortunately, the ship has sailed on the paperbacks for the moment, but the ebook is still available if you go to jswanson.me slash sea of the unknown. And of course, it's easiest if you just go to jswanson.me, you'll see it right there on the front. And we're back. Um, so Dave, I'm not sure if Jay really let you in on the secret of this whole podcasting um, enterprise here, but this is really just an elaborate gimmick to get talented media professionals such as yourself to do some free consulting for us um, as we try to build our publishing house around Jay's Oracle of the Dread Gods universe. So um, in the second half of the episode, we, we like to ask some more selfish questions. And I think Jay really started getting to it uh, early, just before the ad break there. So you're good with that. You're good with us. For, really for just, free um, consultation in exchange for exposure. Yep. I love that. Absolutely. Awesome. Yes, by all means. Excellent. Well, I'll get right into it. I was jumping the gun just because I'm so excited to have Dave on the podcast. I need more yep. Dave in my life. <laughs> You're a gentleman, sir. So yeah, we, we talked a lot before the uh, before the ad break about sort of the craft of world building and, and, and story construction. Um, and we, we talked about that really from the point of view of the author um, writing a book. Um, but what I've found really exciting about sort of your approach to storytelling, and we, we touched a little bit on it uh, about the acting at the start there, but you're always thinking about the audience or the reader and you're finding ways to, um, I, th I think the way that you create, you, you, you've got the reader very much in your mind and you're, and you're finding ways to um, involve them in the storytelling more and more. So I'm wondering what, what are some of the most effective ways? And, and that's, sorry, I should preface that by saying that that's something that we're very conscious of. I mean, when um, Jay, obviously, uh, in parallel to his uh his um, development as an author, he's been vlogging every day. And so he's been telling stories with a lot of feedback from his audience. So I think that's really seeped into his approach to how he wants to tell his science fiction stories. And that, you know, that is to, to build these stories along with the fandom. He wants to, he really wants to bring his audience along on an experience, not just uh, a transaction where he's writing books and they're buying them and that. So th there's a lot of a deeper um, interaction there. And, and that's saying I feel that you, you have a really strong sense of that as well. So I'm just wondering, um, what are the most effective ways you've seen to draw a readership into a deeper relationship with the story universe? Um, so they're not just readers, but on some level, they're, they're truly sure. participants and, in the story. That's, that's always a challenge uh, because the, the nature of culture and society today uh, uh, you know, back when Stephen King was was writing Carrie and Pet Cemetery, he didn't have to worry about fans so much. Uh, uh, you know, people would buy his books and he would go out and do signings occasionally. But until he did that 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 credit card commercial, nobody even knew what he looked like. Uh, so he could walk down the street anonymously. And and nowadays, authors are expected to cultivate a connection 
with their readers, certainly, uh, and and Twitter and social media has per- permitted that. But and to speak more specifically to your point, Richard, these transmedia frameworks have opened up a lot of doors for storytellers to explore not only different voices within their own story worlds, but also different ways to share those stories and engage with their fans uh, beyond the printed or, or the written word, uh, which I think is, is, is utterly fascinating. One thing, I, I'm just off the top of my head, uh, uh, certainly uh, a Twitter feed in the, in the hands of a character, not necessarily appropriate for your world, Jay, because uh, <laughs> I don't think anybody has Twitter uh, necessarily in your world, but I've seen, you know. Uh, I did do that for Into the Nanton, actually. There were, uh, I think, three characters that had Twitter accounts and two of them would get into <laughs> fights a few times a week. Marvelous. Yes, exactly. Exactly that. Uh, uh, you know, uh, the Dresden, uh, Jim Butcher, you know, Harry Dresden has a, a Twitter feed that has huge following and engages on that level. So that's a wonderful way where you can actually present a persona and any framework. I mean, maybe you could even do this on Facebook or, or, or any social media framework or, or Instagram, uh, picking a character and allowing the audience to see through that character's eyes in some way, shape, or form, whether it's participatory, where their comments are posted and the character responds, or just merely a, a, a glimpse at, at, at how this character dresses themselves in the morning, whatever. Uh, the idea is that we get new perspectives, perspectives tailored to the format that the, the medium through which you're, you're speaking. If it's Instagram, then it's pictures. Uh, if it's Twitter, it's short bursts of dialogue. Uh, Facebook fosters all kinds of things. You can could, you could go any media format along those lines. A podcast is also never a bad idea, um, but uh, it needs to have some sort of framework where uh, audience listeners can contribute in some way, asking questions, uh, promoting, sending the, the, the next episode down a certain path. Um, what was it? How, it? how it should have ended? Is that the, the, the animated uh, YouTube channel? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, they constantly poll their readership, which, which would you like us to see? Which would you like us to do next? And they'll tell them. And that, even that simple act of asking a question and listening to the response creates a kind of dialogue. And even yeah. if you're just one person in a group of hundreds or thousands that are saying, oh no, do Inception next, uh, you still feel like you're a part of that community more so than you did before. What do, what do you think? Obviously, you're talking a lot about using a lot of different media there and, and using the tools that are available. It's, you know, letting the story um, spill out of the book form and, and, and go into all the different channels that are available to us. But I'm also wondering, like, what is it that, when you just confined to the book itself, um, what do you think it is that, that lets some science fiction fantasy novels uh, develop a strong fandom and, you know, engage fandom and other books which might sell just as well, but which just don't seem to evoke that response in fans? Is there something inherent within the books themselves? Is that, or like, do you think, is it, is it the world building elements? Like, what is it do you think that, that provokes I- that in a fan? That's an excellent question, and I, and I think that that might be worthy of a little discussion and a little back and forth uh, uh, to help each of us refine our perspectives on that, although I expect the other two gentlemen on this podcast have a very clear idea of what that is. But for me, I'm going to – I'm my initial instinct is to start off very broad and then try and narrow it down into something more practical and useful, uh, but – any successful story is something that I can connect with personally, uh, either that I can relate to uh, uh, in some way in terms of wish fulfillment or whatever. If it's a character who I deeply admire or sympathize with, or if it's a setting that is so innovative and raises so many questions in in my mind that I am eager to move forward and I think that's the that's the 
the, the telling thing right there. What raises questions in my mind? What do I want to learn more about? Uh, and, and what you're asking, Richard, is how, how do I make my readers curious? How do I get them to invest uh, curiosity points uh, into my uh, into my story, uh, so that they and then they spend those points by turning the page uh, and keep moving forward to the story eagerly and hungrily. Uh, and and if I had the answer to that, <laughs> I would be on the I would be I would be on Oprah at this point, uh, waxing rhapsodic on on all of these virtues. I think that's the secret sauce, and I think every there is no sovereign answer uh, any more than there's one way to write a story. Uh, I think each author, each storyteller has a responsive here we, here we go. Here's Dave getting on a soap opera, soapbox. I think I think every storyteller is has a responsibility to understand why they tell stories. What is it about storytelling? that drives you to the keyboard uh, uh, or to pick up pen and paper or guitar or paintbrush, whatever story you're kind of telling, why? Why Why do you do it in general? And in particular, why are you doing it for this? Because ultimately, in order to connect with those faceless fans and readers out there that we can never know in our lifetime, all the people, hopefully, that are reading our books or listening to our podcasts or whatever. Uh, but our desire is still to connect with them. That is, I think, the fundamental core of every storyteller on some level or another is to create a, a tether between themselves and not all of society, because there's some weird stuff out there, but the people, our tribe, our, our community, to broaden our community. So the only way that you can do that reliably and in a way that is sustainable is if you are absolutely honest with your interactions and your byplay and your dialogue and so on and so forth. So understanding why you want to tell this story, what's important about this story, and always coming from that point, I think that's a good start. It's not the sovereign cure, but when you start asking, should I do this, go back to that place. Uh, uh, and it will become more refined as you tell a story. I remember every brainstorm we did on the roundtable later the Archivos Podcast Network was started off very simple and became not cumbersomely complex, but became more sophisticated, more nuanced, uh, more facets to the jewel, uh, made the entire composition that much more intriguing and engaging. And through that byplay of idea bouncing and this idea works, this idea doesn't, this idea works because it fits with these other ideas and reinforces this theme and actually gives this character a great opportunity to do this thing. And it's going to be great fun to write, man. you got three checkboxes. Write that sucker. Make that happen. Add that change or whatever. Uh, so, so understanding that why and then building from that I'm, i feel like i'm repeating myself but that's that's a good that's a good foundation to no, build that's on. cool that's yeah that's good and actually that's uh, interesting you go back to um you know the why and, and and building up from there um one of the other questions I, I really wanted to ask you about was the the why of or um you know the building of archivos itself this is not a writing question this is more of a business question because we're, we're building a small business here as well um, we're not just building stories we're building a business around this and um, and it seems there's a, you know, a similar uh, approach to building a business is to it's to really start with the fundamental of why you're building this, and 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 so you've got that central tenant, and and then you you add layers of complexity onto that. Um, I wonder if you've got some uh, parallel advice for us in terms of building a small business. Uh, I, I'm not sure how how big your team is at Archivos, but uh, as an entrepreneur in that space. Um, What's, what's some lessons or some, uh, you know, key advice that you could uh, give us as a... As a sure, yeah. Um, um, little business. Let's see. Again, <laughs> people get into business for a variety of reasons. Uh, and I agree, Richard. It's, it feels, I feel very much a kinship with the, the, the enterprise that you're undertaking and the enterprise I undertook with Archivos because I think both of us uh, uh, acknowledge that 
it's kind of a service industry. We want to be of service to our community. Uh, and if, if there is, and again, I'm, 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 this is not an absolute truth, but I feel that if you are not very clear about how you are adding to the world and particularly your tribe or your community, uh, uh, if you do not feel that your product can dramatically alter the terrain and make, make your friends' lives easier by reading your books or using your product or what have you, uh, then don't do it. Uh, if you can't stand naked uh, uh, in the midst of the crowd and, and declare unequivocally that this is a good thing, then you probably shouldn't be in business. Uh, uh, and that said, I understand there's there's entrepreneurs out there going, you don't know what you're talking about. And you're right. Uh, I don't. I know what I'm talking about in the context of my reason for going into business and, and wanting to create something sustainable uh, was to be in service. I, I don't think you guys have a problem with that. I think, it, I think you guys, Jay certainly uh, has demonstrated over the years uh, with his vlogging and with his engagement with his community, uh, a, a profound compassion and desire to not only be a part of that, but to add to it. Uh, so in that regard, I, th I think you're, you're aces as far as that goes. I certainly, I, I'm glad you said it that way, actually. I think that's a really um, nice way of framing it, that, you know, that, that internal belief. And I think that as, as if, how can you build a company even just internally if, if you know, if the people that, that come to work for you don't believe in the, in the project as well and don't, sure. there's, there's the, the vision for the project isn't strong enough to, to tie a team together. How's it going to go beyond that? So um yeah, I, I think you're right. I don't think we have any trouble with that internally in the team at the moment. And um, and as we build a community, I don't think there's a problem with that either. But it's it's good to constantly reflect on that and constantly, you know, question: Are we are we maintaining? Are we staying true to that vision? And how, you know, is that is that still true? Are we are we still striving yeah. in that direction? So no, that's a really um, well. Yeah, and it also it also changes the way you look at your customers. Uh, uh, you know, you don't necessarily have customers. I mean, you do. That's the reality. People are subscribing to Archivos who I have never met. I can't call them friends. Uh, but anybody, when you feel as strongly as you do about your product, the people that you are, God, I hate the word, marketing to, uh, your, your target demographic, again, hate that too. Um, but all of those, you know, sales and marketing concepts that we have to use in order to have an articulate conversation about it, you're engaging with not these, these faceless wallets that are, you know, swiping their credit cards to do your thing. These, these, everybody's a potential friend or a potential ally or a potential member of your community or tribe. And that changes the way you deal with them and the way you put together your products and the way you present your products everything you know you talked earlier about you know having the reader or, or the audience constantly in mind uh, uh i think you know definitely in business that needs to be uh, forefront uh, uh in your in your strategies in in order to effectively connect and again it goes back to storytelling business is storytelling too uh and and we're trying to make that connection with people uh so yeah absolutely yeah no that's that's absolutely rings true yeah and um i think that you know we're at a bit of an advantage um in the sense that we're uh building a business around storytelling because uh and and that we've uh, that jay already has you know he's built this audience and it's something that you know, we couldn't ignore our, you know, Jay's audience. Tried anyway. <laughs> They're loud. <laughs> They're loud. <laughs> Jay and, and, um, and we love it. And it, it, it really is um, the most, uh, it, yeah, it's one of the most valuable yeah. things we have is, is that community that's already been built. Um, so yeah, that's lovely. That's great. No, I think the, uh, going back to what you said earlier, David, I think it's really true in all these elements is that connection and, uh, that authenticity. I think when I, I think it might've been Seth Rogen that I saw recently who in an interview was talking about how strange it was that super bad was as popular as it was because they kept doubling down on how niche they could make it to themselves <laughs> in their own experience as kids. 
And the more they focused in on what was true for themselves, the more it broadened its appeal uh, to the masses. And I think that that's, that's really true in a number of arenas. Um, but one of the things that I'm even you know struggling with right now is how to strike the right chord with you know everything going on in the world and how I approach it because uh, I want to be upbeat, I want to keep my chin up, but I also want to be sensitive to the fact that there are a lot of people that are struggling right now. And the thing I keep coming back to is that I just need to be honest about it and um, not try to you know fake my way through it. And I think that that uh, holds true for all forms of storytelling, you know, nonfiction or fiction, whether that's um, just person to person, how we relate with each other. I think just trying to be trying to be the most authentic. I mean, it sounds kind of cheesy to say it that way, but trying to be our most authentic selves and just trying to remove all of the, uh, you know, artifice and just go into it as as raw and vulnerable as we can in a safe way. Um, and, you know, in some ways that's going to push some people away, but I think that uh, it definitely opens us up to experiencing something together that isn't available if you just try to make it broadly appealing and, you know, make it something else for some mysterious other instead of making it what you would need it to be if you were in the shoes of the person who's reading or watching. Well, and, and two things on that. Uh, uh, one, do not, do not try and pander to what you think your audience likes. Audiences today are very sophisticated. They will smell that a mile away. Yeah. Uh, and and so, yeah, no. Honesty and authenticity, uh, uh, if they don't like you, at least it's honest. And, yeah, you, yeah. And, you, and you can move from there. It's it's information you can use. The other thing I wanted to bring up, and it's a little more personal, uh, is that all of us are being called upon in in these days to deal with something that we haven't had to deal with before. Uh, uh, and I know all the introverts are saying, yes, I've been preparing for the pandemic all my life. I'm an introvert. That's awesome. Um, but even, even the, regardless of your, your, where you, how you approach life, we are being called upon to be alone with ourselves for a long time. Mm-hmm. And recently, uh, I uh, my wife passed away recently, a couple months back, and I had planned uh, this great road trip all around the world to reconnect with family and friends, to sell my house, go out on the road, reconnect with the world. And then COVID came, and you know I I can deal with that. That's fine. I've I've always been a very flexible and fluid guy. But what I didn't realize was that. For 20 years, I've had somebody at my side, and now I don't. And that's you know that's life, and I I'm dealing with that. That's fine. I I'm working through that process, but then compound that with isolation, and the lack of not only do I not have her by my side anymore, but anyone really. And I have great friends. I have a strong support network. This is not a thing about sympathy. This is about discovering who you are alone when you're not on social media when you're not being interviewed when you're not engaging with other people who are you when you're alone and i think a lot of us are traipsing into some very unfamiliar territory as we start asking those questions and discovering who that is uh so when you say we are in a world where things are changing yeah and i think you know not only are business models changing and and cultures and societies evolving but i think individuals are going to be discovering things about themselves that will be very affirming you know you had a strength you didn't know you had or can be very terrifying i i didn't realize how dependent i was on other people or whatever a hundred different things um so and bringing all of this back to storytelling and talking about being authentic, uh, I, I think this experience is actually going to enhance and augment the stories that many of us are going to be telling moving forward, not necessarily because they will 
be in a pandemic or have to do with isolation or anything, but that we've all explored some terrain we've never had to explore before. And those experiences and that, that knowledge, that understanding can only help storytellers. That's really good. So it's really good. And I, I think, well, I've, and you've, uh, you've obviously personified some personal toughness throughout all this. And it was good. We caught up uh, personally last week again. And, yeah. uh, and I think that one of the, I mean, that's one of the reasons I'm excited to have you on here is I always leave our conversations feeling excited and just jazzed for whatever comes <laughs> next. And I think for me, that's one of the things that I want to try and provide for people. And this podcast isn't necessarily the format for that. My vlog probably is a little bit more so. I don't know, maybe some people are leaving this conversation equally jazzed to have heard your voice, probably the case because it's infectious. But <laughs> I think, um, I don't know, I, you know I, I would rather try to find a way to get myself excited for my projects, my future, my whatever it is in the midst of all this uncertainty and scariness. And then ideally share that and not be afraid to dive into it head first. I think it's, it ends up being me second guessing uh, myself and and like you said it's not pandering necessarily but assuming that I know how people are going to respond and and assuming that it's going to be the worst you know that assuming yeah. that people are, aren't going to uh, resonate with it and instead just being like no like I, I'm just going to I need to approach this as best I can and try to offer what encouragement I can because we are all spending a lot of time alone and we could use a little pick-me-up here and there so absolutely Absolutely. And, and yeah, I mean, you know, motivation for a story, uh, you know, it's, it's stories, I don't know, are, I'll ask a question. Are stories an opportunity or are they a mandate? Do you, have to, write, yeah, do you have to write a story? <laughs> do, you, oh. do, you, do you have to? Is this something, if, if the story you're writing is not something you are compelled to write, why are you writing it? Or is a story an open door that you can choose to go through or not? And if you do, uh, uh, it's an opportunity to explore a path that you didn't explore. And it's it doesn't have to be either or, but I guess for you, which do you feel more often when you sit down at the desk? Is it a moral imperative or is it uh, an opportunity? For me, it's more of an imperative usually. Okay. I, I think that's true of most, uh, most writers, uh, especially writers that have written eight to 10 books <laughs> and, and conducted a, a, a vlog for the last three or four years. Um, yeah. Well, that's changing for me though, too. I mean, I do see them more as it depends. Like I see a lot of them as opportunities. I think I'm only now beginning to understand the value of that personally to the point that it's equally motivating, Okay, but I can't claim that I've been motivated in the past in that way. I think in a lot of ways it was just because I loved making videos or I loved writing these books and these stories. And so that's been where the, the compulsion has come from. There you go. Then, and then, and then ride that, uh, uh, move, let that, let that be your guide. I, I, I agree. We need, we all need something to help reconnect us and stories are a wonderful way to do that. Uh, I, I think, I don't have the chops necessarily to write a story that's imminently topical uh, uh, per se that could shed new light, well, not necessarily anyway, on, on how to survive shelter-in-place orders and, and how to live with only 30 rolls of toilet paper uh, or, or whatever uh, the, the, the hardship uh, that, that people are enduring or to lose someone. To, to a disease and then watch somebody else walking down the street without a mask on or without gloves on, uh, uh, carefree and fancy free, that, that pain uh, uh, and that anger, that frustration. I, you know, I, th I, I, I think, here, here's, here's what I think, <laughs> finally. Uh, uh, any emotional response that you have is authentic, is valid. And from that point of authenticity, any story that evolves from that emotional fire is a good story to write. There. That was worth it. That was that was worth the, the entire podcast. <laughs> I hope you all made it for that part. If, any, if anybody tuned out, they definitely missed what they should have, what they were really here for. Dave, it's been. An absolute pleasure as always to have you on. Thank you so much uh, for coming and joining us on this inaugural season. 
My singular pleasure, Jay. I appreciate you having me. I always enjoy. We, we had the best conversations, you and I. And Richard, uh, a pleasure to make your acquaintance as well, my friend. Absolutely. Um, you were one of the first guests that Jay wanted to wanted to, to oh. line up here, and, and he deliberately wanted to leave you sort of towards the end of the series so we can sort of build up to you a little bit. But uh, it's been uh, a pleasure finally finally meeting you. Here's hoping we've we built up enough momentum to be worthy of the mighty dirt bike <laughs> ramp that is Dave Robinson. <laughs> This might be a weird place to start, but one of the things that I really enjoyed was our dive into performance art with Dave there for a minute, because he's a performer of so many varieties um, and, uh, and just a deep person in general that I think bleeds into uh, everything that he does. But I feel like that depth came through a development of his ability to empathize with the characters that he was trying to bring to life, that he was working on bringing to life. And that storytelling, that element of storytelling, at least for him, really wove into everything that he's done since then. He has a long history in all of that. And it was really cool to see what came from his practice of physically embodying characters and story in and of himself. And I just, that's something that I just love about Dave. Yeah, I, I agree. That was a really nice sidetrack to ramble down. Didn't expect it, but it was a really fun little discussion and um, just a really great piece of writing advice in general. Um, your vlogging, Jay, is certainly something that I think has helped you not only find your own voice, but also just uh, find your confidence in, in telling stories and getting them out there. Um, so, yeah, I definitely recommend that to everyone um, to, to go out there and do some piece of dramatic theatre, um, some performance piece. Uh, I was actually also reminded about um, Mary Robin at Kowal. Um, Kowal. Kowal, yeah, Kowal, I think, yeah. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Kowal, yeah, <laughs> it's a Mary Robin If she Kowal. ever hears this, uh, she can and tweet she, us about that one. And, uh, and I know uh, her background in puppetry um, informs her writing and actually her first appearance as a guest on the Writing, Ex- uh, writing Excuses uh, podcast is one of my favorite podcast episodes and writing ever. Um, I really recommend you go back and listen to that. I'll find it and link it in the liner notes. But um, yeah, just a, a wonderful uh, exploration of the way a completely different dramatic art or performative art can can inform writing in very unusual ways. Um, and you know, a really wonderful writing resource that that episode and that writing excuses in general. Um, but speaking of writing resources, um, I want to talk about Archivist a bit. Uh, obviously, it was a, a large part of the conversation today, and it sounds like a wonderful piece of software. I know you've talked about it with me a lot. Um, and uh, in fact, going back a few years, you, you showed it to me a few years ago in relation to your vlog, actually. Um, and uh, in this episode, we talked a lot about Archivist in the, in the, um, the context of keeping track of our world building as authors. But I know that you really have an eye on how we could use Archivos to make the reading experience better for the authors. Um, so, what do you have in mind there? What you know? What do you? Th- how do you think we're going to use that? And um, how how do you think we should get started with well, that? Well, we actually were the, one of the ways that we were getting started was by originally with Kate. We were going to build it all out for the vlog, so all the different characters, places, the locations, and so forth. That it, uh, we we've, we're still tempted. We've talked about doing it, but it's also the vlog side of things is after three years of doing it every day, it kind of got to be a little bit unwieldy on the size the, factor. Um, yeah. And the, the infamous Kate metadata the project, Kate metadata uh, project. But um, I think that there, there are still some smaller ways that we can get into it to practice with it, to play with it into the Nansen's an obvious one, because we already have artwork and a lot of finished components that we could put into it and, and plug in the maps and everything else to really help that get a, a strong, immersive feel out of it and i think that's one of the cool things about it is that for a completed story i I guess the challenge for me is that how do you uh give it to somebody so that they can use it in the midst while they're reading it like keep up with it live and so rolling out that kind of spoiler side of things is something i know dave's working towards but i don't think is available yet so in the interim it's like well we could do either a couple short stories or even just do like a character profile of the the backstory for the characters so you don't get any spoilers um for the story itself but you do get a little bit of information up front about them that you wouldn't get any other way i think there's a lot of really fun visual ways that you can engage with it but it's something to be thinking about a lot too because like he was saying um towards the end and and i really appreciate where we went like on the more serious notes with Dave as well. I always love having good conversations with him along any of those lines. And um, 
there's yeah. a lot to think about just in terms of like, well, what do we go from here? I think that a lot of the conversations we've been having over the course of this podcast with a lot of different people and a lot of the conversations you and I have had and a lot of the thinking and planning and plotting, you know, so much of it's changing so dramatically and so quickly that it's definitely a good time to be slowing down and thinking, okay, well, what are we going to do and how are we going to approach this? And so I really appreciated that. And, it, and even just hearing it again and re-listening to it really re-sparked some of that for me right now. So I'm looking forward to diving deeper into that with you too and talking about it because maybe we can find some small ways to use Archivos oh. that would be fun in the near term. And maybe there's just something that we might be overlooking as well. So I'm, I'm excited for that. Yeah. I, I mean, since the start of this podcast, we were in a very different place. Uh, when we started this podcast, we were back in the office um, you know, all the team was around us. We, you know, the whole point of being in the office was that we were together. Yep. We, there was no one knew what social distancing was as a concept. Um, and you know, and and now it's it's it seems so far away, but it's it's been a short season of of podcasting, but uh, a completely different world that yeah. we're living in now. But um, so yeah, I take that point completely. We we are reassessing that. Um, as far as Archivos goes, I think that you know we are. We, we really are beta testers in a sense, or, you know, we can we can have that function of testing for, for David. So that's something that I, I'm really interested in, in, in what you said there, that, you know, what does it actually look like to to readers? What, how can we actually, you know, as a reader, someone picking up a book and, and we're talking to you, our listeners right now, like uh, when when uh, these books come out and, and you pick them up, you know, we're really trying to think now about how, uh, you know, what are you going to yeah. get alongside that book and, and how are you going to interact with that? And, and we're definitely going to be looking for feedback and, and, you know, you're going to be beta testing this for us and, and we'll be doing, you know, the feedback that you give us is going to help us develop uh, Archivos and other, other tools as we, as we build a real multimedia experience around all of this. So um, yeah, um, you guys, you're on the ground floor at the moment with us and, and hopefully we can do some really fun stuff with this in the future. Absolutely. And thanks for listening to those of you that have been listening. We are so happy with how yeah. things have gone so far and we look forward to bringing you even more in two weeks. Today's podcast was made possible by our magnanimous patrons whose contributions directly impact our work here as well as the future of the project. They are the best. And a big shout out this week to our newest super patron, Jody Ferguson. She joins Kevin, Karen Bates, Mystery Man, Susan French, Dixie Rose, David Guy, Figure 73, Steve, Jane Baker, Timeless Founder Capital, and Mr. and Mrs. DJ Poser. Thank you all so very much. Building the Oracle is mixed and produced by Zach Egan, co-hosted by Richard Bilkey, mascotted proudly by his four-legged friend Gustav, and it's written and hosted by yours truly. Our theme music is Glory and our ad music is Light, both by David Cutter, who you can also find and support directly on Patreon. And our newsletter is assembled with love by our own Kate Weber. Don't forget you can support us at patreon.com slash dreadgods whenever that itch grows too strong to resist. Don't forget to rate and review Building the Oracle on iTunes or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts, or Gustav will hide all your Purell refills. Oh, yeah, yeah, he'll do that. He definitely does that. I don't know if you know, Jay, but Gustav really likes hiding stuff. We find things all around the house here that he's been burying into different places and he's definitely developing a very disturbing habit of hoarding those little sanitizer bottles, the little hand sanitizer things. He, he just, he knows how valuable just, they are yeah. to you. He's, he's yeah. all, Either that all or he's, he's just really fastidious about um, sanitizing his little paws. I'm not sure. But yeah. Well, I, you know what? I can't, I can't blame him for that. My name is Jay Swanson and thank you again for listening. Tune back in in two weeks for our next episode and until then, keep making rad shit.